Welcome to EdScoop's podcast series, Cutting Edge, where we explore innovative uses of technology and education. I'm your host, Wyatt Cash, and in today's episode, we're talking about the growing urgency for colleges and universities to expand their academic offerings online and meet the needs of lifelong learners, not just traditional college-bound students. Our guest today is Nina Hunteman, Director of Academics and Research at edX in Cambridge, Massachusetts. edX is well known as a pioneering massive open online course provider founded by Harvard University and MIT in 2012 and which currently works with more than 130 global education partners. Nina brings more than 15 years of college-level teaching, program administration, and faculty development experience to our program today, and she's also a digital education pioneer in her own right. Nina, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So Nina, let me ask first, colleges and universities are increasingly looking at online education as an essential strategy for their continued growth. What lessons or do's and don'ts would you offer to higher ed leaders looking to expand online based on edX's experience? It's a great question, and I think you're right. A lot of universities are looking at some challenges that I think online education could really help them solve. So first and foremost, we now talk about students as lifelong learners. It doesn't begin and end when they apply and enter school, college, and then graduate. Um, really, universities are recognizing that their engagement with students needs to happen early and continue after graduation. And that's just really reflecting the reality of the workplace today, where learners post-graduation are going to find themselves in a career job that might change dramatically, even in the course of a couple years, and need to reskill. That is such an opportunity. You had, as a university, a good relationship with the learner when they were college students. Why not continue to be in their lives? And so that is a strong do when you're thinking about providing online education. Think differently about the learner move beyond the traditional age group and traditional demographic. I'd say another do is make sure that you're offering programs that are in a high demand career field. What we find is that people return to learning for career related outcomes. Yes, there's a lot of interest learning, learning for the sake of hobbies and just expanding one's knowledge, but highly motivated learners are looking for learning educational opportunities that are related to careers. And so you want to develop programs that respond to in demand career fields. So you'll have much more success with that. I would say some of the do nots, and this is really around pedagogy, which is something I know a lot about, don't take your offline or residential offerings and just put them online. There's too many things about the online environment that really require you to transform your course offerings, both, again, what you're offering in terms of subjects and areas, but also how you teach it. Take advantage of digital technologies to be able to really offer more interactive learning opportunities. Just don't copy and paste, if you will, your on-campus pedagogy into an online environment. Well, speaking more directly to the higher ed CIOs in our audience and those that are not 100% familiar with edX, talk to me just briefly about how does your platform work serving all those partners and what distinguishes it from other available platforms for teaching college courses online? Maybe in addition, what's new or different technically about the platform since you first introduced it at Harvard and MIT back in 2012? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key differentiators for edX when it comes to educational, online educational platforms is that we're fully open source. And what that means is that one could download the entire code of our platform and create their own instance of open edX. And in fact, we have many clients, um, customers who do that. In particular, entire nations will often use the open edX platform to deliver, for example, K-12 education. 
So with the open source uh, version of edX, we have a lot of education technologists who are building tools for the open edX platform. And what's really fantastic about that is that they then can contribute those features back to edX. And we will often incorporate those features into the primary code of edX so that every new release of open edX is a continuing evolving platform. We also incorporate those feature changes that come from folks in the open edX community um, into our edX.org instance and make those available to our partner universities. So a lot of things have been added over the years, complex open response assessments, interesting labs and other interactive assessment types. And so I think the power of the open edX is really valuable to, you know, obviously edX partners, but also to any educational provider who wants to move into online education and have that flexibility. Speaking as a former college professor and who's worked with administrators, what do you tell professors and education officials is the basic business case or incentive for featuring their coursework online for thousands of free users? This is a really important question. Um, I came to teaching because I had uh, an internal motivation, a drive, if you will, to really influence the lives of the students that I would be lucky enough to come into contact with. I think that for most teachers, that is a central reason for why we choose the teaching career path. And what's incredible and impactful about teaching online, particularly in MOOCs, is that I did this once. I counted up how many students did I influence or touch or teach over the 15 years, 30 semesters of my uh, professional professor career. And I calculated that if every semester I had 200 students, which actually would have varied over the years, that would have touched maybe 6,000 different students. But online, in one course on edX, there might be 6,000 students in one course. And so just from a simple algebra of the impact uh, on learners, it is, it is so much greater when you teach online. Um, and so if you're interested and have a passion for teaching and learning, you can have such a greater uh, influence that way. I think the business case, the sort of like raw numbers case of it, is that the reality for universities is they're facing drops in enrollment to on campus. Um, on campus is very expensive. Um, students are, as we're starting to see, opting out of college altogether, in part because of the cost. But what online education at scale really allows is to be able to still provide high-quality learning um, to students who may otherwise not be able to afford it, don't have the time to stop life and go uh, to a residential program, and in particular, to nimbly respond to the requirement to constantly skill and reskill yourself in a career. I think that um, universities have an opportunity to be far more agile in the programs that they create and develop by putting them online. Um, and that's just something that with dropping enrollments is really critical to the future of an institution. Those are some great points. Next, let me ask edX's CEO, Anand Argawal, during this recent South by Southwest EDU conference in March, I made the case to Education Secretary Betsy DeVos about why there's an urgent need to change federal financial aid policies to support things like micro-credentials and not just accredited degrees. Why is that important to the future of higher education? So currently, federal financial aid dollars are really only available to two- and four-year accredited institutions. And there are some interesting programs, shorter micro-credentials coming out of those institutions, but there is a far amount of innovation, particularly in the credentialing area, happening outside of the accreditation space. What that unfortunately means then is that students who may need 
federal financial aid to afford to go to school have those non-accredited pathways cut off to them um, because they can't apply federal financial dollars. And so, you know, what we're really hoping to see is that there is um, a greater understanding or broadening of how those federal financial dollars can be applied. And this is not to say, and I want to be really clear here, that we don't think that accreditation and quality standards are not important and should be ignored. We absolutely think that quality is important, and I think we demonstrate that on our platform. But what I hope, and I know that my CEO um, in his remarks at South by Southwest EDU um, was intending, is to see a broadening of what types of organizations, institutions, and providers could be included in federal financial aid dollars. So frankly, those who need this kind of upskilling, reskilling, and basic education the most can get it. Well, I think there's a lot of people that would join in to that argument. Let me uh, last ask, what's on the horizon for edX looking forward that higher ed community officials should be paying attention to? And if I may, could you touch on the recent announcement of a course support fee that edX announced last month and, and how that will impact education partners and how they're responding to it? So I would say uh, one of the things that's really exciting to us is what we're calling credit exchanges. We launched the MicroMasters in September of 2016, first with MIT Supply Chain, and we've since added um, 49 other MicroMasters programs. And one of the really exciting things happening is that we're seeing um, relationships or partnerships between edX partners in the um, credit pathways that are available. A MicroMasters program is a portion of a master's degree, 25 to 50% that you complete fully online. And then a learner who finishes that can apply to a degree program and have the work that they completed in the MicroMasters count towards credit in completing that full master's program. So you can imagine it decreases the time and cost of finishing a master's. Well, typically, one university offers the program, and that same university offers the master's degree. That's how we started. But we've opened it up so that there's an exchange. We have, for example, Rochester Institute of Technology in New York, Curtin University in Australia, um, accepting MIT's supply chain MicroMasters for credit if a student applies and is accepted into their master's program. So this is creating a really fascinating sort of global network of credit-eligible pathways and educational opportunities that wouldn't be available otherwise. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Nina Hunterman from edX, thanks so much for joining us to talk about what edX is doing and the evolution of online education. Look for more of our coverage of cutting-edge uses of technology in education on edscoop.com. This is Wyatt Cash. Thanks for tuning in. 